Amen. Let's clap our hands for the Lord. You may be seated. You may be seated. So nice to be here tonight. Good evening, everyone. So a uh, joy for me to meet uh, your pastor and his wife today. And <clears throat> um, pastor Rick Jerusik's a longtime friend and highly esteemed by my uh, wife and I. And we've labored together for the Lord and known him a while. Great to see his wife and family tonight. I'm so happy. And it's nice to be in New Jersey. When I saw all these trees and grass, I'm a long way from downtown Brooklyn, I'm telling you right now. You all got to come and visit us, though, because this fresh air is going to kill you. I'm telling you, it's, you need a little dirt and, and smog and vermin and whatever to keep you going. No, my, we were uh, talking today. My wife, although born in Chicago, she came as a kid to uh, Brooklyn, father pastor there, but then they moved to uh, New Jersey. And she spent a lot of time in uh, Colonia, New Jersey, and Woodbridge, went to Woodbridge High School. And, um, and uh, how far are we from one and nine? Is one and nine a long way from here? Not that far. Used to be a white castle there in Rawway at one and nine, whoa. <laughs> Ate a few hundred of those. Wow. You know why cast all of you, right? Nasty little things, right? Little. So it's, it's a joy to be here and feel the presence of the Lord. And you know, uh, we were talking today, denominations don't exist to God. There are no denominations to God. These are all figments of our imagination. Uh, there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one body. And we're in it, so when, amen. So when you're blessed here, I'm blessed in Brooklyn. Trust me, I am blessed. And we have to always root for each other, and that's, I'm rooting for your church now that I see it and feel it and see what God is doing here. So i just like to uh, read a couple passages to you. Just concentrate on um, me reading it. You can check it out when you get home. Um, it's found in a couple different places in 1 Thessalonians, which is Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. So listen, just look at me and listen. He's reviewing his ministry there where he started the church. And um, Paul went, look up here for a little context. Paul had gone on a missionary journey and uh, started churches in what we call uh, Turkey now. And they were the churches in Galatia. Thanks, I'm good, Rick. And um, then he came back and he went on a second missionary journey and the Lord led him to go to Greece. So the gospel came to Europe. And the first place he went to was uh, Philippi. And then right after Philippi, he went to Thessalonica on this missionary trip with Barnabas. And uh, we don't know how long he was in uh, Thessalonica. That's the hard thing. Commentators, the experts are not sure. For sure he was not there more than three or four months. Some think as little as three or four or five weeks. 
He spent 18 months in Corinth, three years in Ephesus. That was his longest stay anywhere. But this was a, um, a short stay, and I say that because he left a church, and now he's writing back to that church that he loves so much, and he's reminding them of his ministry with them. And he reveals a lot about himself, at least as church Christians and as pastors, we need to really pay attention. You know we never use flattery. This is the second chapter. You know we never use flattery, nor did we uh, put on a mask to cover up greed. You know, preachers who are after your money. That's everywhere. You watch Christian television, it gets revolting, right? They're con artists, seed faith, send $88 and you'll get your blessing. And, and, but they, they have to send it to them. You can't send it to your church or to a missionary, right? A little funny to me. What do you think, right? I think they're playing us. So God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Then he switches the metaphor. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Then he says, and this, this is like crazy talk. This is like a guy dating a girl, falling in love. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, did again and again. Very mysterious sentence now. But Satan blocked our way. How, why that happened, we don't know. For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you, indeed, you are our glory and joy. And then he kind of concludes this thought, but not the letter, by saying, all right, I've been pulled away, but I sent Timothy to check on you. Timothy has just come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. I mean, what is this? This is a love relationship of some kind? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distresses and persecutions, we are encouraged because of your faith. For now, we really live. He's in the slammer. He's in and out of trouble. But now we really live because you're standing firm in the Lord. So I want to talk about something here. Get us all to pray and ask the Lord for help. And it's the calling that's on your church and our, my church and every church. When Jesus came to earth, he revealed the Father's heart. He was the express image of the Father, Jesus was. So you want to know anything about God, you just study Jesus. You want to know how he feels about women, God, or children, or anything, you just study Jesus. You don't need verses from the Old Testament to describe. Uh, Jesus is the express image of the Father. And we know that he showed this tremendous compassion for people because he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he would do anything for people who were lost as long as they were open to him in some way. Religious people who were hypocrites, he didn't have much time for. And some people like Herod at the very end of his life, he wouldn't even speak to 
But anyone who was open and reaching and looking, no matter what they had done, no matter what mess they were in, he was there to pull them out. This love brought him to the cross where he was crucified and hung from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon and was punished, tortured. He was scourged before he even got to the cross, which was a horrible thing. Some people during the scourging died and never made it to the crucifixion. He went through it all for us, gave up his life. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. Amen? Yeah. And, and went back to the Father. But before he did that, he said to the disciples, now you all go into all the world and preach the good news. That's the first calling uh, on the people of God, is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now to do that, we need many things. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. We have to understand what the gospel is. We have to be a people who commune with God, pray, walk with God, have fellowship with God, many things. But here was the calling. You go. Now, when you get to heaven, when you die, you can't tell anybody about the Lord. But now is our chance. Now is our slot. So the hardest thing in the world for a church to see happen, and any minister, any minister will tell you, the hardest thing in the world is to see a convert made, to see someone born again. Not rob people from other churches. That's not a good way to spend your life. And that's what a lot of churches do. They either bring people from other churches, already Christians, angels don't rejoice when we play musical chairs. How many say amen to that? But they do rejoice when one person repents. The other dilemma is to so be interested in numbers that you're not concerned whether they're born again and have been changed by the gospel, that they repent of their sins and their life has changed. So they're still sleeping around or doing this and that, but you have them in the church and you look the other way because we can't lose them and their presence and their offering and all of that. And that's a horrible, horrible way to misrepresent the gospel of Christ. So... So to make it the real thing, like this, where, where he went and, and, made a, and saw a church form, it's, you know, we should all, like, let me see how this happened. So the, the, the apostles went out preaching. Paul was converted later. As you know, he had been persecuting the church. And then after finding the Lord, uh, he was sent out on these missionary journeys. Uh, Pastor Chris referred to one of them and uh, separate me for uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas for the work I've called them to do, like we prayed for these great people going to Puerto Rico and to the Middle East. So now Paul is going out and he's preaching the gospel. So I want to know this. I want to know this. He goes to Thessalonica, and he's not even there possibly two months, and he leaves a church, and there's no Bibles. He can't hand out a New Testament to anyone. It hasn't been written. There are no church buildings. For 300 years, the Christian church had no buildings. It wasn't until 300 years after the day of Pentecost that they started to have what we would call church buildings. And now, unfortunately, we call that church, you know, as the church is the building. No, the church is us. So now, all right, no New Testaments. Prayer in, he doesn't have to worry about prayer in schools. That, that, just, that just overwhelms me. What we don't need is prayer in schools. We just need prayer in the church, right? If we pray in the church, we don't have to worry about prayer in schools. That's just denial. That's like a, 
uh, ministers and Christians playing games. Oh, what are we going to do? Secular humanism and there's demons out there. And, and there's no prayer in the school. They had nothing. They had no money. The Roman Empire was against them. The Jewish religious establishment persecuted them. And they said, like, you don't even hear them mention it. You, they don't even talk about it. They're not ever complaining. Like, what are we going to do? Nero is the emperor, and we have to pay taxes to this guy because Jesus said, render unto Caesar what's due Caesar. And uh, how are we going to do anything? You never hear any of that talk. They're just like, let's get this on. Let's spread the gospel. Let's follow the example of our master, and let's win souls for Christ. Listen, everyone you know one million years from now is going to be somewhere. Every friend you have, every relative, one million years from now will be somewhere. According to Jesus, they'll either be with him or they'll be away from him in a place of punishment. Those are the realities, okay? So I'm all for praise and worship. I'm all for everything. You know my wife uh, uh, her choir, and, and she's won six Grammy Awards. She can't read or write music. Rick knows that about her. Uh, my wife, she's having a choir practice. Isn't this funny? Right while I'm talking, she's having a choir practice right now. And she can't read or write music. Uh, um, her books, uh, the music she writes and the arrangements she makes have turned into books that people sing around all around the country and around the world, and she can't read or write music. The joke in our church is she doesn't know what she's doing. She just keeps doing it every Sunday. <laughs> and we're happy. I just do it. So she's got a precious gift. And she's won those Grammy Awards. And they make music, and there's a place for music. There's a place for Bible study. Tomorrow night I'm doing an hour and 20 minutes in the church on uh, 21st century spiritual warfare. There's time for Bible study. There's time for everything. But that's not why we're here. If the Lord wanted us to do worship, he wouldn't leave us here. He'd bring us there. That's where they're worshiping. We're just playing with it because we see through a glass darkly. But when we see him face to face, what kind of worship do you think that will be, right? So... We worship now, that's good, I'm all for worship, Bible study. But the more you study and the more you try to figure out things, you have to realize there'll always be mysteries. And we'll see through a glass darkly. Then we will know even as we are known. So if the Lord wanted us to do deeper Bible studies and know more about them, he'd take us to heaven. If he wanted us to have real deep worship, he'd have us right there now. My mom is in that meeting right now. She passed away a few uh, months ago. Uh, she died at 104 years old, uh, 104 and about seven months. She's Polish. <laughs> We're not smart, but we keep moving. We just keep going, like, forward. So, and Ukrainian. I'm half Ukrainian, too. So, so the point is that we're all going to have to give an answer. This church will give an answer. And I'll have to give an answer for the work that we've done to reach people that Christ died for. To circle the wagons and just have church is a colossal uh, misinterpretation of why we're here. Christ did not die on a cross so that we would just go to church on Sunday and in a prayer meeting. He wanted us to go, all of us go, 
In the book of Acts, it points out very, very clearly that a great persecution broke out after Stephen was martyred and all the uh, uh, believers were scattered. But the apostles, for some reason, stayed in Jerusalem. We don't know why. But then it says this. But everywhere the disciples, the members, were scattered, they proclaim the gospel. That's how the church multiplied. Not by the guy on the platform, but by the lay people in the pew. But they didn't have pews. By the lay people who were full of Jesus, full of love, full of boldness, ready to pray for people, ready to share the gospel, not helpless, always going through something. Oh, help me pray, Pastor. I, I want to make it through. Make it through. Come on, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Come on, say amen. So, so we got a victim mentality in the culture, and now we have it in the church. Everyone's like, ah. And God has something better for us. Right, so now let's get back, just focus on this here. So how did he do this? That's what I want to know. I'm a pastor. I want to do my job better. How do you do this? How do you do that with none of those advantages we have? Look, I'm wearing a mic. We got multiple mics, instruments, great choir. We got this building. We got all these things going for us. They didn't have any of that. And they turned the world upside down. Wouldn't you want to, wouldn't you want to be part of that? But a lot of people don't. They just want to have church. That's the ultimate deception of spiritual living. That you think you love God but don't care about people. Now listen, that is the ultimate. I want to be close to God. I love to be in his word. I love to wait in his presence. That's all good. I'm all for that. But you're totally deceived if that doesn't translate into looking at the world the way he sees it. He sees it. He wept over Jerusalem. They were going to crucify him. He wasn't angry with them. He wept over them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How bad is it going to be for you? When the women tried mocking him, spitting at him on the Via Dolorosa, he said, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. A day is coming, etc., etc." So now we know that Paul, we know that Paul preached the gospel. I don't want to get into that tonight, but you got to know the gospel. Not everybody knows the gospel, otherwise we'd be winning more converts. Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Amen. That gospel, that Paul says, my gospel, the one he got from Jesus directly. So it's not uh, some hybrid gospel where you join, uh, uh, join my church because it's special gospel. No, that's not in the Bible. I have, listen, study every sermon in the book of Acts. Acts 2, Peter. Acts 3, Peter again. Acts 10, Peter at Cornelius' house. Gentiles come into the church. Analyze every sentence. Parse it. What's the subject? What's the verb? What's the object? What did he tell them that made so many converts? Don't be creative. God doesn't need help from any of us. He just wants us to tell people the message he has already laid out. All right? That's all. But in your, from your heart with the help of the Holy Spirit. Acts uh, 13, Paul in Antioch and Pisidia in the synagogue when they ask him to speak. That's the gospel, okay? Acts 21, 22, when they almost kill him in Jerusalem. He quiets the crowd. He gives the gospel and his testimony. Before Felix and Festus at the end of the book of Acts. That's the gospel. Maybe not what you heard in the church you grew up in. I know you hear the gospel here. 
but it's not charismatic gospel. It's not about speaking in tongues and healing and, and the gifts of the Spirit. That's interesting. That's important for Christians, but it's not the gospel. They never preached about that to a crowd. Never. Never mentioned it once. Look, show me. Never. No black gospel. No white gospel. No Fox News right wing gospel. No CNN left wing gospel. There, there's, it's not political. It's not five point Calvinism. It's not Arminianism. It, wait, it's not Pentecostal. I'm only here one night, so hold the clapping and, and then we'll destroy the building when we're all done here. So it's not, it's not uh, uh, Pentecostal distinctives. It's none of that. I know that because I have, the, I have what they said. What did they say? It's so simple. But a lot of people don't know it. And when you mix things into it, you weaken its power. Like you have a good uh, pot of uh, tomato sauce, uh, spaghetti sauce. If you start adding water or a bottle of seltzer, now you diluted it. If you take away anything from the message, you now weaken its power. That's what we've been doing. Take away repentance of sin. Just tell people Jesus loves you. Just believe right the way you are. You don't have to change anything. You're shacking up with someone. You stay right there, girl. You go, girl. Nobody cares. No, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And that's us. Thus, we don't see new, new creation. We don't see people born again. I, look, the gospel is the power of God. Not me. Not you. The gospel. Paul says, I suffer all things for the gospel. Pray that the gospel may run and be glorified. It's about the gospel. This is a gospel church. I want my church to be a gospel church. We want to see this whole area of New Jersey saturated with the gospel. Come on. For that, we say amen. We want to be New Testament Christians. Not charismatic, not Pentecostal, not evangelical, but not Baptist, because none of those words are in the Bible. Pentecostal is, is a Jewish feast. Why would I want to call myself a Jewish feast? That's good. I never said that before in my life. That actually was good. It just hit me. But how many follow what I'm saying? Someone says, what are you? I'm a New Testament Christian. I'll defend the New Testament. I'll defend Christ. I'm not going to defend Pentecostalism. The charismatic movement, I'm going to defend that. People grave soaking, laying on graves to try to get the anointing from dead people. Oh, come on, stop that. That's nonsense. I'm not defending that because it's not in the Bible. That's voodoo, hoodoo from Haiti. That's not, that's not the gospel. So I don't want to defend anything but Jesus and the word of God. Okay, so he preached the gospel. He also was full of the Holy Spirit. He had power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What, what kind of power is that? It's the power to break into people's hearts and minds. It's the power that God gives you when you preach the gospel to shatter the lies and awaken people. Will everybody get saved? No. Not everyone got saved when Jesus was here. Paul didn't get everyone saved. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put him in a prison. But God will save people, droves of them. That's his business. My business is to sow the seed. The spirit will water it, and then the, the fruit will come. God will produce the fruit. So, but I, I knew that. So, I came to the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle with less than 20 people. First offering we took, Carol and I, in a rundown building in Brooklyn was $85, was the total offering. 
I was the tithes and the offerings. I didn't go to seminary. She was gifted musically, a pastor's daughter, but I wasn't trained technically. So now we're down in the hood. We were in a rough block, Atlantic Avenue between 3rd and 4th. Some people are here from Brooklyn. I can tell. I feel that Brooklyn. I feel that Brooklyn. I feel that Brooklyn juice running in the building here. So I'm um, the, very depressing. It was so depressing. I didn't want to go, and I was the pastor, and that's always a bad sign. That's always a bad sign. Very hard. Very hard. Inherited a mess. Rundown building. No, no cocaine yet there, no crack, but heroin, alcoholism, hookers a block away, either side of the, when you came out the church on the block. Very difficult, but that's where the Lord placed us. So now we're supposed to win souls. We're not supposed to have great meetings. We're supposed to win souls. How great can the meetings be if you don't win souls? You know, like, you'll know a tree by its fruit. So... Now the plowing and the breaking and the renewing of my mind and God trying to show me things. You're doing that wrong. You don't this. You don't care and, uh, about the proper things. And we're groping and, and just trying to do God's work. So a very signal moment in my life came when uh, I was in England, in London. And I was in a hotel room. The church had grown to a certain extent, but God, God had a lot more to do with me as he still does. And First Thessalonians, I was sitting on a, so, a sofa and I began to read it and God began to open it to me as I pray, Jesus, please help us. He opens it to us tonight. And I began to see that beside the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, there was another element that made Paul so successful. There was another missing element in my life. When I was preaching, especially when I started, and it was bad. My sermons were so bad, I fell asleep while I was preaching, <laughs> not, not just the people. We, we all got rest when I preached. So, can I walk off this? So, the, um, I didn't care about the people. I'm telling you the truth. I was insecure. I just want to get through the message. I'm, I'm, I'm being totally transparent. I mean, I cared if he had a problem. I'm the pastor. But it was new to me. And I was so wrapped up in myself and my insecurities and my self-consciousness that the people, what they were going through, what they were weeping about, it's like, you know, I got my own problem. I'm working a second job. My wife is. We already have one uh, baby uh, 11 months after we married. So we had uh, one uh, little Chrissy when we started the ministry. And now I'm reading this in, 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 um, in, in London, 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, so you all remember now when I was with you, okay? I was like a mother nursing a baby. That's how much I loved you. And the picture in the Greek is a woman pulling down her dress and taking a newborn to her breast to suckle the child, to nurse the child. That's how you were to me. For I was ready to give you not just the gospel, I was ready to give you my life. 
I'll go down for you like a mother would for the baby. I didn't know about that. I did not know about that. I'd grown up around noise and jumping and hollering and shouting at times and different things, people running around the building thinking that was church and making strange movements and all of that. That, that was like the height of a good meeting to the, to the people there. But have a heart of Jesus for the people? Not me. Not like that. You know how a mother would be with the baby. Mothers have been known to get tremendous strength from adrenaline and do amazing things when their babies come under threat. Paul said, that's how I was. You remember that? What do you think? I was some two-bit preacher, put money in, in, in my head, and I'll give you sermons? No, no, that was unknown to Paul. Then he goes further and he says, now, when I was pulled away from you, pulled away, what were you, dating? When I was pulled away, my heart was always with you, but I couldn't be there. But I missed you, just you remember that. For what is my crown? What is my joy? What is my glory in the day of Christ? Is it not you? What do you think you're going to show this building to the Lord? Do you think he's impressed by this building? If you get some more land? He owns everything. He made it. We have a nice building that we restored in Brooklyn. My friend Walter's wife, Jusik, are here. They know it well. They serve as deacons, deaconess. But what am I going to show God that building? Look at this theater we restored that's 100 years old, right? What, what, what's my wife going to do when, when Christ comes? Show her the Grammy Awards that are in his office? I won years ago Book of the Year for a book that I wrote, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I didn't go to the ceremony, but they sent me a plaque. You won Book of the Year, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. What am I going to show God? My, my plaque for Book of the Year? He wrote the Bible. He's not impressed by <laughs> Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Am I right or wrong? So what do we have? When the Lord comes, no, heads up, everybody. What are you going to show him? That's all you can bring as a person. That's what Paul said. He wrote most of the New Testament. And he said, no, all I have, what is my crown? What is my joy? What is my glory? Some revelation I had? No, you. I led you to Christ. You're my crown of glory. You're my joy. It's you. That was foreign to me. That was like a message in tongues that wasn't interpreted. I didn't understand that at all. But God's working in me, and I'm on the floor now weeping. Because God's just showing me, you know, you, you, you're, just, you're just getting through many times. And then finally, now I really live because you stand firm in the Lord. In other words, my joy is because you're doing good, not because I'm doing good. I'm doing bad. I'm in the, I'm in the slammer. And I didn't even do the crime. But I know that you're strong. Timothy just said, you're strong in the Lord. That's all I need to hear. It's like the lady who came to me years ago, uh, African-American woman in our church. I hadn't seen her for a long time. There's several thousands of people coming there every Sunday. She walked up to me. And uh, I hadn't seen her maybe in a year or a year and a half to actually hug her and say hello. And the minute she came into my presence, 
I, I was aware and, and I got sad in the way because she had aged so much and she really looked like life had beat her up. So I shook her hand and I noticed her hand even was like rough. And I said, hi, how are you? And I was just thinking to myself, oh my goodness, I hope you know, everything's been going well. And uh, she said, Pastor, I want you to meet Anthony, my son. And she brings Anthony forward, handsome guy. She said, guess what? Graduated college. He's going to law school now. He's going to be a lawyer. He's the first one in our family tree ever to go beyond a high school diploma. It took me three jobs, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it happen, Pastor. And then it all came to me. She's killing herself for her son. You think it bothers her? Of course not. That's her boy. Parents do anything for their children. And then I had a, you know, a flashback to a lot of stuff I saw in church with preachers jumping around, acting all crazy on the platform, acting mostly. If any of you speak here publicly, always remember, be yourself. Don't put on a spiritual tone and don't act weird. Don't act religious. God doesn't use actors. He only uses people who talk from their heart. I had dinner with the, the pastor here. Don't you think he would know if I talk different at the dinner table than I'm talking now? And he go, what was that about? <laughs> well, praise all of us. Oh, stop it. You didn't do that in the restaurant. You didn't say, praise the pastor, Saul. Praise God. Uh, <laughs> just got to be who you are. You got to be who you are. Don't do white church. Don't do black church. Don't do anything. Just think how we're held back by our unnatural ways. And the Lord said, dun, 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 dun. who talks like that? Do you ever meet anybody, hang out with them, and they're going, <laughs> but we, a lot of times we'd rather have church than just reality because it's hard. It's hard to be transparent. It costs you much more. It's easy to keep people at a distance by acting another way, but to open your heart, be like a child with them. So anyway, oh, did I pray that day. And a lot happened that changed me, that changed our church, I believe, and I'm surrounded by the best people in the whole world, to be honest with you. Like, oh, Lord, that's what the secret is. Not just the gospel, but also the power of the Holy Spirit, but also the heart of God so that you see people the way he sees them and you feel what he feels. You know, I prayed for you before I came out here because I knew if God would give me love for you and I would look at you the right way, then I could communicate with you because love always gets through. Sermons don't, but love does. So, let me close. So I, you learn this, you learn it. Oh, God. Give me your heart. Give me your love. I have your heart in me already because if anyone has not the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. We all have God's Holy Spirit living inside of us. Am I correct? Yeah. So it's not something we have to get that's new. It's the expression of it that we would break, that God would break us so his love could shine forth. So years later, it's an Easter Sunday. 
There's lines around the building. I don't know how many services we're having then. I think it was three or four a, 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 a day, a Sunday. Each, at that time, two hours long, about three, that's it, nine, 12, three, and six. You talk about a long day? Sometimes I just need a body bag to go home like it was just so tired. And, and, and uh, th that six-year period that we had those meetings, it just was a tremendous, grueling thing. That's why I look so old. I, I'm really 34 years old. I just had <laughs> 34. But, yeah. Those six years wiped me out. What can I say? So anyway, we do an Easter program. My wife's put together a, a, a Easter program. What, you get some songs about Jesus. But we make up our own cantatas. It wasn't even a cantata. But how did the people know out there if it was a cantata? It's songs about the Lord and he rose and, and a testimony. And it was the last service. And I had a suit on then. And uh, oh, turning point, turning point. There's so many turning points in your life. So I'm sitting on the edge of a platform higher than this in a building where Rick used to play and Pastor Rick and people are still, most of them have dispersed but some are still praying, they're being counseled, my wife's playing the keyboard organ or something and I'm sitting like this and I remember taking my tie down. What a long day. Man, I couldn't wait to get home. I was a lot younger then, but I still was so tired, fatigued. You know, lines around the building, people fighting to get in, ministering to them. I look up, and I was sitting right about on this angle, and in the middle aisle, about three rows back, is African-American guy looking wasted. And I look at him, and he's sheepishly looking at me, got his cap filthy cap in his hand and uh, at, back in the, that time there was a lot of people uh, panhandling begging for money and we had a whole um, protocol what to do don't give people money they'll just can, they could just use it to get more alcohol or whatever they're into crack so um, but no one was around and hey I'm tired okay so he seems like he wants to talk to me. So I, call, I go, come on. So he walks up to me. He gets about five feet away from me. And I'm overwhelmed. That's the nastiest smelling human being I've ever smelled in my life. Obviously, he's living in the street. What I didn't know, he was living, he was laying on the side of our building in his own urine right before the meeting, uh, the concert, the outreach happened. When he comes close to me, it's a mixture of feces, urine, sweat, street, and alcohol. But he'd been drinking, and his eyes were a little glazed. But it was nasty. I know we've all smelled bad smells. That's the nastiest smell I ever smelled in my life. I couldn't even look at him and, and inhale. I would turn away to inhale. I go, "What's your name, David? Where'd you sleep last night? Abandoned truck. How come you're not in the shelter?" Too dangerous. Almost got killed in one. How long you been out there? A couple of years, whatever it was. 
guy is just, whoa. Now he's talking to me, so he's close. And hey, I grew up middle class. Middle class Brooklyn. That's not how I grew up. So I reach in my back pocket. Let me give him a couple of dollars. Forget the protocol. I got nobody around here, and I want to go home. So I take out some bills. I put it out to him. He pushes my hand down. And he goes, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus you were talking about. I go, what? He said, I don't need your money. I'm going to die out there. I need this Jesus you're talking about. I go, oh, as God is listening to me, I wish David was here. I, sitting, I totally forget about him. I needed God, not him only. I lifted up my hands and I started crying like a baby and saying, God, I've become my own worst nightmare. Religious, but with no heart. Sermons, but no compassion. Please forgive me and fill me with your love. Please. I started to cry. Look at me, everybody. He knew something happened. I'm telling you, God baptized me with his love. I know he did. David came closer and fell on my chest. He started crying. I'm crying. I wrap my arms around him. He wraps his arms around me, and we just start rocking back and forth. I'm repenting. He's repenting. <laughs> it's like a big repentance party. And I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, God, forgive me, please. He sent somebody to me, and I want to give him some money to get him away from me. What's happened to me? What, what am I, lost my mind? Suddenly, the best I can tell you, I sense God say to me, you see this smell? That's what I called you to. If you don't embrace that smell, I can't use you. I'll put you on the shelf because the whole world smells like that to me. And I still sent my son. Oh, my goodness. And uh, well, anyway, he, uh, so interesting. I led him to Christ. He led me to Christ. <laughs> I'm just thinking that. I led him and he led me. Got him uh, detoxed that week. Got him back to the church. He was missing teeth here. He looked 50. He was 32, handsome. And uh, I um, got him a job helping in the church, working in housekeeping. And he would uh, work. And he grew. Oh, how he grew. He grew. He was so sincere, so in love with God. Uh, had never made a long-distance phone call in his life, had never done that. Came from down North Carolina, if I remember correctly. And uh, I had him to my house for Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving first, and then at Christmas, first Christmas in my house with my family and David, and he gave me, just wrapped in the, in the simplest uh, uh, wrapping paper, just a white handkerchief. That's all he could afford. I kept it for years. It was like the best gift I could have ever gotten. Then I started to see how he was growing. He started reading the word so much 
that he would not only memorize scripture, I memorize some scripture, but he would know the references. I, I'm not good at references. Maybe you are. But you know the, not just the verse, but the reference. I know Psalm 23.1. I know, you know, Acts 2.38. I know John 3.16. I know that. But he, he was memorizing all kinds of stuff. So he started to use like verbal Bible shorthand with me. He'd see me in the hallway and he'd hug me. Hi, Pastor Simbola. And, and uh and I'd go, hi, David, how are you? He said, good. Man, I love you. And he said, just remember, remember, remember Philippians 4.19. <laughs> and I'd go, I want to slap this guy. I have no idea what he's talking about. And he would do it all the time to me. And not just normal verses. He'd be, you know, like 1 Kings 11.11. Remember that. 1 Kings 11.11, what are you talking about? You ever meet anyone who does that? They just, they just sign verses. They think you know what it is. He met a girl in the church, a pharmacist. They got married. Ended up having two children. You know how what? This is the truth. He ended up uh, marrying her, and then they came to me after a Sunday service and said, we heard you preached about faith in God. I'm told by the doctor that because of the way I abuse my body, I can't have children. Would you pray for me that we could have children? I said, you believe that? He said, yes, we both want it, Cherba and his precious wife. So I prayed for them. Sure enough, five months later, she gets pregnant. Wait, they have a baby. Baby is born. Baby starts to grow. She gets pregnant again. They have a second child. I can't remember, but I think they were the ones who came back to me and said, Pastor, do you have a reverse prayer on this thing that we could go like go back? Because we're multiplying like rabbits here. We're oh, how about this? How about this? He moved to New Jersey. He moved to Elizabeth. He got ordained. He was an associate pastor in Assembly of God Church in Elizabeth, New Jersey. He just came on Easter Sunday. I, I, he's so shy, so humble, the nicest guy in the whole world. And even though we've been apart, the minute we're together, we just are like this. We're like, that's it. We're brothers. Because we remember how we met. Hugging each other and saying, Jesus, help us. Without that heart, we're not going to do it. Very strange Christianity. I, I'm very concerned when the emphasis is on manifestations and not souls. Or deep scriptural knowledge and understanding every mystery and every prophetic thing. And we know who the, what the mark of the beast is and who the antichrist. That's great. But how about the guy down the block? How about David Ruffin? The, uh, the, the, the mark of the beast and the antichrist, he's not getting saved. So let that all play out. But the people around us, what are we going to do, church? What are we going to do? And it can't be on him can't be on me. It's got to be on you too. I have to do, remember Paul tells Timothy, I say this to you, Pastor, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was not an evangelist. He was a pastor. He didn't say be an evangelist. He said do the work of an evangelist. If a church isn't reaching outside its doors and saying, God, how do we get the gospel where they are or get them in here by being invited or whatever that's legitimate, they've got to hear the gospel and be born again. 
Then the angels rejoice. But that's not going to happen without the heart of Jesus. How can I effectively preach the gospel of Jesus without the heart of Jesus? If I don't love people, how am I going to tell people, oh, God so loved the world? Yeah, I know, but how about you? Do you love me? No, I don't have time for you, but listen to this verse. It won't work. It won't fly. Are you with me tonight? Everybody with me? Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Let's pray. God's going to give birth to something awesome here tonight. Everybody who has a great longing to be a soul winner like you've never been before. I am not putting down anything else that I mentioned. Be a worshiper. Be a Bible student. Be um, a singer. Use your talent. I'm all for everything. You understand that. Be a prayer warrior. But my goodness, if we don't have the heart of God, all we'll end up doing is praying for ourselves. If you're here today and you have a great longing, you don't need to be ordained. D.L. Moody became the greatest soul winner of the 19th century. Never got ordained. You had to call him Mr. Moody. Bible school named after him. His imprint is still on our culture and never got ordained, but he just was going to share Christ at all costs. If you want God to give you a new beginning as a soul winner, get up out of your seat and come here right to the front so I can pray over you. Come on, get up right out of your seat right now. In the name of Christ, just come up. Stand here. If you're in the choir, stand behind me. I want to be a soul winner. I want to drink, bring them in. I want to share Christ. I want to lay hands on people and see God work. I want to have a word in season. I want to be instant, in season, out of season. I want to be a sharer of the good news. I want to multiply. I'm a sheep. I want to multiply more sheep. All my relatives, my family, my acquaintances, one billion years from now, they're all going to be somewhere. I want to do everything I can under God, by His Spirit. I want to see people the way He sees people. I want to feel what He feels. I can't, I can't teach you that. Neither can your pastor. But God, the Holy Spirit, can put that in our heart. As the pastor comes up here, could you lift up your hands? And before we ask him for anything, could you just lift up your hands and begin to praise him out loud for all he's done in your life. Praise him out loud. Praise him out loud.